Welcome to At Night Frights, the Talk Film Society podcast celebrating the genre films of Manoj Neliaptis Shyamalan, aka At Night Shyamalan. I'm your host, Manish Mather, and we are back after, uh, let's see, I guess about a year and a half or so um, since M. Night's latest film, Old, and we're talking about uh, his 2023 film, Knock at the Cabin. And I have with me here, returning guest, film critic on YouTube, Shoria Chavala. Hello. Welcome back. Hey. Hey, thanks for having me back, man. Uh, yeah, I'm really, really glad to have you back. You were on the old episode, and uh, it seems right to have you back because now we are we're entering M. Night's, you know, official post-Israel 77 trilogy era. Um, he might bring back, you know, David Dunn and all those people. I guess not David Dunn, actually. <laughs> he might nah, bring back, <laughs> um, <laughs> he might bring back, you know, Anya Taylor-Joy and um, Spencer Tree Clark. But uh, for now, that, that trilogy is concluded. So now we're sort of in this new phase of his career. Um so since you know, since we last spoke about M Night, have what's been your kind of feeling around him? What were your, what was your anticipation for Knock at the Cabin before you saw it? So my thoughts last time, if I remember correctly, I think I said, you know, I think he's a director who is consistently very unique, and I I love his approach to films. Like sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but I always show up because. I want to see what he's going to try next. And, you know, we live in a time when there's so many movies which are like, you know, uh, remakes, reboots, sequels, and all that stuff. It's nice to have a, a director like him who's consistently taking big swings with storytelling. And I think that's kind of why I was excited for Knock at the Cabin. Uh, full disclosure, I have not read the book by Paul okay, Me neither. Uh, okay. Um, so I don't know how that goes i've heard it's a little different um but um i was still excited to see the movie mostly because again it seemed like an interesting concept and even if it was an adaptation he's gonna bring his own flair to it and that's what got me to go to the theater on opening night yeah yeah no i mean for me it's the same you know um any listener who has uh not gone back to hear that episode um i really admire a night uh he self-finances his films he lives outside of hollywood he seems he seems like he really learned his lesson after his very public um uh, downturn in his career in the 2000 late 2000s 2010s um mm -hmm. uh, since the visit in 2015 he's bounced back and um you know his movies are very successful at the box office um you know I think Split and Glass both made close to $300 million. Um, Old was also very successful during the uh, Delta variant era, the pandemic. Um, and so we'll see how well Knock of the Cabin is doing. I read somewhere that it's his lowest opening in quite some time, which isn't a little upsetting, but, um, you know, he works for very little money. So, I mean, um, on the plus side, on the plus side, it did finally knock Avatar off. So it is number one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, it, it's always, I love tracking box office and like, I think Avatar, you know, it, I think the first Avatar was number one for seven weeks. And so now this one was also number one for seven weeks, got knocked off mm -hmm. in February. Uh, yeah, I mean, M. Night did it, and I, I honestly was expecting that to happen. Um, so I feel mm -hmm. like M. Night always opens at number one, just because, you know, he's a name brand, He his the title is very mysterious and exciting. Um, I think the trailers were really well received. So, um, yeah, so we'll see how, how well this one does uh, at the end of the day, but um, I... I didn't. I I don't have the budget in front of me, but I can't imagine it was very high. So I feel like whatever the total is, he'll still kind of make make a good good chunk of change. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd love to just kind of hear your um, initial thoughts on the movie. Um, we're gonna do a spoiler free discussion for a bit, and then take a little break, and then we'll go into the full spoilers. Um, this movie's out in theaters right now, so um, if you have not seen the film and you want to stay totally spoiler-free, go see it. 
it's quite good. It's a lot of fun. And then come back. Um, but yeah, spoiler free. Kind of what's your what's your take on the movie? I really, really like this movie. And I've been thinking about it since seeing it. And I think I like it more the more I think about it. Um, I don't think it's a perfect film by any means. I don't think it's... Uh, I mean, I think it's it's definitely up there for me in terms of my some of the better things that I've seen from Shyamalan to date. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very intriguing concept. It's a very uh, fascinatingly made movie. Um, it's really well acted. And f- and it doesn't waste much time. It, it puts you into the moment very quickly, gives you some solid character development as well to work off of. And... I was constantly invested in it from start to finish. Um, there are some couple of minor issues that uh, that I do have, mostly in terms of like wrap up and and some stuff in the middle. But uh, overall, yeah, very very pleased. Yeah, same here. I I really enjoyed the movie. I mean, I guess enjoy is kind of a difficult word because it's it's a kind of a grim movie. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I. I feel like I only watched the teaser trailer. I don't think I even watched the full trailer. So I really mm-hmm. had no idea what this movie was about. Um, I So I was kind of like, I mean, I, I had read like half of a review um, before where I was like, actually, I don't want to read this. Um, but uh, so I kind of, I guess I have the little, the opening kind of did spoil, was a little spoiled for me, but I really liked the movie. I love, I like the performances. I really thought that I'm not Shyamalan's, um, filmmaking was very different than what he had done in old and in split. So, um, and it, it felt more akin to like his, um, work in like signs and, and glass. So, mm-hmm. um, I really like that he changes the way he films his movies, um, so much and that he's, you know, I feel like old is very like chaotic and jittery and all over the place. And this movie is very still and very, um very somber which i i appreciated that um yeah i mean i i definitely have some questions comments concerns about the movie but overall i thought that it was really um a really ex- ex- exciting movie i think something different than what he had done before uh, i really liked the um the fact that the main couple in the film was a gay couple i thought that was really well handled um something mm-hmm. was kind of surprising for m night because i feel like he's so i don't know i feel like he lives so much outside the like real world sometimes that i'm like oh right <laughs> he does i'm sure he does have thoughts about like homophobia and stuff like that um he's just i mean he's so he's like in the public eye but out of the public eye so um mm-hmm. one thing i admire about him is like how much he keeps his mouth shut about things that i don't want to hear his opinion on i'm sure <laughs> or i wouldn't want to <laughs> um so yeah, I mean, I, I feel that it was a really, uh, really tense movie. I, um, you know, I think you and I both agree that I think Dave Bautista's performance is quite spectacular. Um, even mm-hmm. for someone that I, I really like him as an actor, uh, but I did not know that he had something like this in him. Did you feel the same way? I uh, yeah, actually, I, I was going to say I think this is his his best performance I've seen from him. Um, I was looking back on it and thinking like, if there's anything else that came close to this and a couple of things came to mind, but not, but this surpasses even those. Um, the other one I was going to say was probably Sapper in Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, but uh, I think uh, what he does over here is very nuanced. It's very, it's also very menacing without being overly menacing. You know, like he's not the character, he's not a character who has to like, you know, like given the what's going on in the movie, it's not like he's sort of yelling at you, like, you know, make this happen or something like this. It's a very, it's a very toned down performance, but it's, it's very effective. And there's so many layers to his character. I thought he did a fantastic job. Yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, of course, you know, I mean, everyone talks about this Blade Runner 2049 performance, and I, um, I don't know, I guess I, it's it's so brief that I feel like I can't really quite, like, register it, um, but um, I, like, I, I like the performance when I watch it, but I have trouble, I guess, like, recalling it, um, but I was, you know, of course, love him in the Marvel movies, 
Um, uh, he was really funny in this movie Stuber with Kumail Nanjiani um, mm-hmm. as like this like um, I don't know like poor, like hitman with like poor vision or something very funny um, mm-hmm. or, is, or is he a cop in the movie I don't remember um, but uh, he's yeah he's a great actor and I, I think you know I, I listened to an interview with Edmund Shyamalan and he was like who else but Dave Bautista could do this kind of role who has that like soulfulness but also is like a giant you know mm-hmm. and like even among other of these like athlete turned actors like john cena or the rock or anyone else like i just, i can't picture them doing this kind of like very like sad performance like he's very menacing he's scary mm-hmm. but it's also very sad like you feel his like conflict as he's do- taking on his actions Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I felt like he was a standout and I was like, um, we should keep his like name in the like conversation for like supporting actor or best actor or whatever. Cause I feel like it's definitely like he's bringing to this movie what I think like Samuel Jackson brings to the, uh, unbreakable movies and what, you know, I think like Bruce Willis gave to the sixth sense and, um, James McAvoy as well. Like, I think he's bringing that level and, like Tony Collette, of course, like, Mm-hmm. he's really tapping into something quite um, emotionally charged, uh, mm-hmm. even in this like very outlandish, you know, um, premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, what about I... the other performances? I mean, this movie has a, a really good cast. Um, Jonathan mm-hmm. Groff, Ben Aldridge, uh, Nikki and Buka Bird, our psychiatrist, Mold, we love her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abby Quinn, of course, the erstwhile Ron Weasley. Rupert Grint, um, and uh, a young child actor, Kristen uh, Kui. Actually, I want to talk to you about her because I felt she, I would love to hear your your thoughts on this child performance. So I think one thing that I've always, I'm like most of the time loved in Shyamalan's movies is he's very good with the child actors. And I think this is no exception. I think, uh, I believe Wen is her name. Um, yeah. I think uh, I think Wen was amazing. In fact, the, the first uh, scene which is with her. And I hope this isn't really a spoiler because it's, um, it's the first two minutes of the movie. Right. No, um, yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, but when she's, she's collecting the grasshoppers and eventually talking to, um, to Leonard, uh, Dave Batista, that conversation between them, like, there, there's, she's very, She's acting beyond her years in those moments. And it's it's a very wonderfully done performance. And she has that energy throughout the entire film. I, th- I think uh, I think uh, M. Night directed her wonderfully and wrote her wonderfully. Um, I was I was consistently at the corner of my eye looking out for her, for, for her, like, make sure nothing happens to her. Oh, she's okay, you know? Um, but, um, you know, I, I thought she was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I'm totally with you there about um, his direction and child performances. I mean, his breakout movie, The Sixth Sense, you know, from that all the way to The Visit um, mm-hmm. and, you know, even the the young kids and old. I mean, I feel like he's able to get them to, like, tap into his level of, like, whatever kind of decibel he's pitching his film at. And mm-hmm. I think in this movie, like, Again, like this movie is very somber. It's it's very it's not self serious, but it like uh, has this like you know kind of like a, this like mourning feel to it. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel that uh, he really gets gets this young actress, Christian Quee, to really get in there. And I mean, she, you know, not only is she acting alongside alongside someone who's like six feet taller than she is in the first mm-hmm. scene, but she handles all this dialogue and all this complicated emotions and all this thing so like i mean so maturely i mean she's she's really fantastic and mm-hmm. um yeah i mean he i mean his movies i think are all about childhood um or most of them are and sort of the experiences of children and i feel like throughout the movie I, her experience is always top of mind and i'm always kind of wondering like what's she thinking how's she feeling how's like you know how how scared is she how you know nervous is she and um i think she's like the true lead of the movie i feel like it's always in her like she's like because she's the only child in the cast and she's you know she's like the center of it in in a really interesting way so yeah i definitely agree Mm -hmm. with you there Mm -hmm. 
any other like standout performances you want to bring up or or performances that you didn't like or something that you felt you know just um any other thoughts on the on the acting of the film uh, I wanted to actually give a shout out to Ben Aldridge. I mm-hmm. thought he was fantastic. Um, I think both uh, him and Jonathan Groff were great, um, but there, I think I give an extra edge to Aldridge because he handles, he has a lot on his shoulders, uh, especially um, as the as things escalate. Um, and um, I think he did a fantastic job. I don't know how many other things I've seen him in. Um like You're not really... watching Pennyworth every week? <laughs> no. So, oh, my God. Oh, the origin of Batman's but Yeah, sorry, man. Uh, uh, I'll get to it at some point. I, I really need to know how he ended up being a butler. Um, right, right. <laughs> um, like, oh, geez. Um, wait, is he is he Alfred? No, no. He's uh, Thomas Wayne. Oh, serious? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I hope he turns out okay, you know? <laughs> like... Hopefully not a cinephile in yeah, this I, I hope, universe. <laughs> yeah, I hope nothing happens to Thomas Wayne. Um, but <laughs> uh, but no, not seriousness. Uh, going back to uh, no, I thought he was he was really really um, good in it. Um, and also, um, uh, I thought Abby Quinn was mm-hmm. really good. Um, like in the in the some scenes that she has in the film. I mean, I think she was the one character where it's like, I can feel you're not okay with what's happening. Like, I can feel this sort of discomfort and the, the fear coming through very, very well. And no one tries to sort of refute that even. It's like, yeah, no, it's not a, it's an uncomfortable situation to be in. It's really, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And I think she she really captured that, that feeling um, very vividly. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, um, uh, I definitely agree with you on, on those points. Ben Aldridge, yeah, I hadn't seen him anything. He was recently in this movie, Spoiler Alert, with Jim Parsons that I wanted to watch, but it, you know, it's a another uh, queer themed film. I think it's like a romance hospital movie. Looked really good, um, mm-hmm. but one of those movies that sadly came and went during the holiday season. Um, so I definitely will check it out, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like M.I. Shyamalan is really good at, like, tapping into these actors that, you know, are just on the cusp of, like, you know, their full potential. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, Jonathan Groff's been around forever. I saw him on Broadway, you know, 15 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, he's sort of having a, a new kind of moment um, with, I mean, I guess, you know, Mindhunter was a couple of years ago, but like that's, you know, I feel like that kind of brought him into a new fame. And Ben Aldridge, of course, is a new find. And like Dave Bautista, like, of course, he's very famous, but like this could be like the first of like a really exciting, dramatic career. And like Emma Shyamalan was there. And Abby Quinn, I think, is also um, a really interesting new find. I, she was in this movie called Landline a couple of years ago where she played, um, Jenny Slade's younger sister with and Edie Falco is her mother. I've never saw it. It's a cute little indie movie. Um, mm-hmm. directed by the same director who made Obvious Chat, I believe, Jillian Robespierre. Uh, uh, which I did not remember that 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 was her until I was, was looking her up. And I was like, oh wow. Um so yeah, I mean again, she's also someone that has like done some stuff, but is just like on the cusp. And you know, Rupert Grant, of course, like he like stopped acting and then like Emma Shyamalan brought him back for his Apple TV show. Um, <laughs> and now he's like, I'm like little muse and same with Nikki and Luca bird. Like she was an old and I loved her there. And I, I realized, I really liked her in this movie as well. I, you know, one thing I want to talk about in the spoiler section is sort of this idea that you brought up of like, you know, these four people, how much like, none of them really seem to be wanting, doing what they wanted. None of them seem to be wanting to do what they're doing. Maybe Rupert Grant a little bit, but um, there's definitely this like push and pull that I find really fascinating. And I think they're really kind of fun tension for M. Night Shyamalan to, to play in. Um, are there any like specific like moments in the film or like any like shots or you know, compositions or anything like that that you wanted to bring up? I guess, like, spoiler-free, I guess, before we jump into the uh, um, section, or, like, just anything, kind of, in general, that you wanted to bring up? 
Um, I mean, if you're asking me shots, then I can't address my favorite shot of the movie without spoiling some right. stuff. So, <laughs> <Right. laughs> so I have to wait on that one. Um, uh, I guess I can be vague about this, but uh, as far as uh, cameos go, I love the Shyamalan cameo in this one. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. That was really... <laughs> Uh, that was one of my favorite ones in a minute. <laughs> I, I, you know what? There was, I was like, there's no way that this man can top his amazing cameo in old, you know, mm-hmm. as the, the driver slash like watcher guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I really appreciated that. <laughs> like, it was, it was a good little laugh that I think yeah. the movie needed. Like, I think this movie is not. This movie, I don't think, really has the kind of like knowing humor that you know the, the visit, of course, had, or that I think old has. The, the more I watch old, the more I'm finding it very knowing and kind of winking. Um, mm-hmm. This movie is very sincere um, and to its strength, but I like that cameo. I thought that it was mm-hmm. clever and a way to be like a fun cam- a fun cameo without being too like distracting, quote unquote, for like the people mm-hmm. that like I don't memify and I Shyamalan. Um, mm-hmm. but um, okay I think we're kind of ready for the spoiler section so um, we're going to take a little break you can hear some of the soundtrack really great soundtrack um, by I, I just want to credit the uh, composer uh, really great soundtrack by Herdis Stefan's Doctor so yeah great soundtrack um, and um, stay tuned and we'll be back for the spoiler section So we're back. Uh, we're doing the spoiler section for Knock at the Cabin. Um, Shoria, please start us off on whatever you want to bring up. Spoiler. So, oh, spoiler. Yay! Uh, so, um, <laughs> but uh, all right. Uh, so uh, last section in the spoiler free thing, I mentioned that there's a, you were asking about shots and I said my favorite shot of the movie, well, it kind of gets into a spoiler territory. Um, so I didn't want to mention what it was, but now I can. Um, so it's when you first you get the sense that there's something ethereal going on, um, and you have um, them say no to the choice, but and and what you essentially see is this light shine through the room, um, through uh, Jonathan Groff's perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's this massive lens flare that comes through. It's um, and 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 you have a uh, Rupert Grint who's uh, on kneeling on the ground. He's got the the white mask on because it's it's one sacrifice and a one world ending event and all that. Um, I I really liked um, yeah that that shot really stuck out to me and it's it's one that I carried in my hand for the longest time and I have been since I since I saw it. Um, yeah, so I mean, yeah, just really getting into the spoilers uh, instantly. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I really liked how um, that moment was. I mean, I've only seen the movie once, and I saw it a couple of days ago. But um, mm-hmm. I liked how that moment was uh, uncommented on for a long time. You know, you you, you can see Jonathan Groff kind of logging it in his brain but not knowing how to process it not knowing what he saw um and i think in a really beautiful way you see his progression of sort of understanding what that means throughout the film um because i you know i think ben aldridge incredible movie of course but he has the he has the majority of the dialogue he has the like you know he has sort of the more emotional scenes but I really wanted to give a shout out to Jonathan Groff, who does a lot of very subtle face acting. And I think mm-hmm. his journey in the film is telegraphed only in his body language. And I think mm-hmm. as he, um, as the film goes on, and I, I think and I want to watch it again because I feel like you can see the wheels turning in, in his mind as he's realizing what's happening and kind of what his role is in the story. 
as the sacrifice and um the payoff to that lens flare is i think it's moving it's emotional it's not scary it's not mm. upsetting i mean it's tragic but it's not it's like it's almost like an act it becomes like an act of love and 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 a, mm. a manifestation of their of their of their marriage and of their relationship in, in quite a really beautiful way and to me it's like yeah i mean it's it's a it's a gorgeous shot but i think it's what it stands for is even more beautiful absolutely and and i also do want to add to gross performance because he is when the movie opens he is knocked to the ground he has a concussion and yeah. um so we're constantly playing around with like is what he's seeing and what he's hearing is that accurate or is this you know is this concussion kicking in or is it, and you know are we um is all of this a coincidence it's it's it sort of plays with that for a while and which also leads to those minimal moments of dialogue and sort of you having to process it through him yeah and um i think that makes it really interesting and adds to that very that feeling of you know disorientation and um trying to understand um everything because the movie holds its some most of its cards to the chest very very closely for a while um until it finally wants to start uh, you know um giving giving you some answers i think they i think they did a really really good job of that sort of building into that feeling more and more yeah yeah i um i i really agree i i think that this tension about you know um this this tension between kind of like what's real and what's a coincidence is really well handled. And the, you know, Emma Shyamalan adapted um, the novel, The Cabinet at the End of the World by Paul D. Tremblay. He worked with uh, co-writers Steve Desmond and Michael Sherman, um, or rather, um, um, so I, I, I'm not sure if he worked with them actually, or if, um, I believe it's actually they the uh, Steve Desmond uh, Steve Desmond and Michael Sherman wrote a draft which M Night um, was it was brought to M Night Shyamalan and then he kind of rewrote it. Um, so, uh, but you know, <laughs> uh, what is um, I, I think this tension that is played with is, is really interesting to me, um, and. You know, it's funny. I was talking to a friend of mine who saw the movie as well, opening weekend, and you know, he was like, um, "You know, and my Shyamalan's a twist guy, and I saw this twist coming." And um, and it's something that I've seen. You know, this person is not unique in that opinion. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen that sort of thing of like, you know, everyone watches my Shyamalan movies for the twist, and like, uh, I don't think this is a twist movie at all. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like there's this tension constantly in this movie about what's real and what's a coincidence. And uh, I think it's, you know, there's no, to me, it feels like a revelation or just like getting answers to the questions in the movie. And um, I don't know. I Do you agree with that? Do you feel like this? Or do you think this is like a shocking twist at the end? I don't think it's a shocking twist. I had a feeling there was something more um, at play, like more, um, you know, in terms of like, you know, heaven and hell kind of thing at play there. Um, but I didn't specifically expect it to be like, oh, these four characters are, you know, are supposed to represent um, the four horsemen uh, of the apocalypse. Okay. Um, but I did like the fact that it's it's a very similar thing to like um, I, I I know I'm, uh, before I'm gonna catch any heat on this one. Let me preface. Uh, exp let me explain. Um, it's a lot like uh, it's a lot like six senses twist for me in one regard, mm -hmm. where when you watch it back, it's painfully obvious. It's like oh yeah, yeah right right yeah no so <laughs> no, I agree with you. you. Know, yeah so even like the, it didn't hit me the first time the first time i was like oh okay that's wow but then when i again went back to think uh, over it and uh, ran it back i'm like oh yeah i mean they gave you the answer to this pretty early on you could sort of make figure it out um so 
I think that way, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you in that sense. It's like, it's not exactly a twist. It's more like a reveal, like just like your final answer to that thing. But it's also not something that you 100% cannot see coming. Unless you are the person who was sitting behind me in the theater <laughs> who guessed the entire time what it was going to be and got it 100% wrong. So, um, so I got it right. I got it wrong. <laughs> Got it absolutely wrong. It was very oh, funny. that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. um, I I I also think of the villages this way. Um, I feel like when you watch, like to me, the village becomes a richer experience knowing the twist because I think a lot of the like thematic sort of, I guess like thematic kind of like weaknesses or whatever, I think becomes part of the fabric of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it recontextualizes the entire movie in a really interesting way, and I think makes the the themes a little bit more resonant and more complicated to think over. Um, I same with the sixth sense. Um, and I I think with this one too, like I did not, I don't know, I guess I don't know that much about like Christian apocalypse, you know, like mythology mm-hmm. or whatever. So I did not like. I just did not like I know who the four horsemen are just by name and I went to Catholic school but like I just didn't put it together um and I liked that this movie played with that tension of that like because I I, I think like old and and is a kind of an interesting COVID movie because it's about sort of like staying in one place like um and having the whole your whole life pass you by and that felt very much like a lockdown movie and I think knock of the cabin plays to me like this like post-pandemic like doom scroll hellscape that we're all in where it's like all these awful things are happening anyway so like why would it be the apocalypse it's just life you know like there is a pandemic and there are fires and you know uh, i mean there aren't planes dropping out of the sky but like um so to me it's like the tension is like well like how much um Ben Aldridge is kind of like not desensitized, but he's just like, this is it. Like, this is just what life is, and we have to figure it out, and we might as well be together while we're surviving mm-hmm. all this. Um, because we I guess like they have the power to stop it, but like they also, you know, why would he believe that? You know, none mm-hmm. of us have the power to stop anything. You know, yes. none of our sacrifices mean anything. And I guess in this movie, like the like the emotional crutch in the movie is that like, well, sometimes maybe this this one family sacrifice will mean something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful theme. I think, uh, I mean, at the at the end of the day, what is what is one thing? It's like, you know, life finding some meaning within it all. And um, yeah, again, it doesn't happen all the time. But um, I mean, I do like the fact that it's like, there's nothing... Is there's nothing about this particular family, which you get a backstory into and flashbacks a little bit, you know, that's particularly like, yeah, this is the family that has to make this decision. It's not like that, but it's, but I think that's what's so powerful in a way. It's like, you don't, they don't all, you don't always need messianic characters, you know, to make it happen. Um, it can be the simplest of families. Yeah, I mean, I like the, fairly normal family was i like yeah um, i actually was quite impressed by how how family handled that it's like this has to be like the most like normalized uh realization of a gay couple i've seen in a big sci-fi movie in a while so yeah i mean you know there has been some you know, whatever discourse around it. And I think a lot of people who don't really know Shyamalan that well are, are kind of up in arms about, you know, like there's no kiss in the movie or this or that, or like, is, uh, is it homophobic that like they have to sacrifice themselves for the better of the good and, or for the better of the world. And, um, I'm kind of like, I don't see much difference between like this married couple and like Guy and Prisca from old or, um, David Dunn and his wife, Robin Wright in Unbreakable. Like, um, to me, like, you know, this whole concept of like, your love is so pure that, you know, you can save the world or whatever. I feel like that's the same with like the love between Trent and Maddox in old, right? Like, 
they were able to survive that whole ordeal because the whole family was able to survive the whole ordeal. Uh, and like, you know, the parents die of natural causes, of course, but like, um, you know, this family unit is so strong and so pure and devoted to each other that they're able to like work past their own issues and survive as long as they can. Um, and even like going back to like the sixth sense, like, um, Helio Osment is such a pure soul that he can, you know, he has this power, right? So, um, and it's the same with Anya Taylor-Joy in Split. Like, you know, like, she suffered this great trauma, and that's what saves her at the end. Maybe it's, like, it's a little messy. It's a little, you know, I'm sure, you know, psychiatrists and social workers are kind of questioning it, but it's consistent in his mm-hmm. career because um, he's very much, I think, uh, interested in sort of people and how, this like inherent purity and goodness that people have and mm-hmm. um, how, how how that can help you survive, you know, these terrible ordeals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I completely, completely agree with that. I have a question, actually, for you. Yeah. Um, the guy at the bar uh, that is that that was Rupert Grint, too, right? This is the big question of the movie, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. because Ben Aldrich sees his license I and mean, he retrieves it and mm-hmm. shows that it's the same guy. But mm-hmm. I, I think one of M. Night's kind of really fun angle tricks is that when he shows in the flashback, you don't see that person's face at all. No. Um, in fact, there's a lot of like negative space that he uses, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, because to me, it's like such a co- it's such a bizarre turn of events that like this guy, um, like sought out this couple and convinced these other three that, like, how would he even know like where? I mean, this guy doesn't seem like like tech savvy enough to like <laughs> yeah. hack and you know like find them and find which Airbnb they're staying in or whatever. You know, like that stuff is, I don't know. I, part of me is like, it's, it's, it's that question of like coincidence versus reality, right? Um, mm-hmm. like coincidence versus like the plan, right? Where it's like, you know, in, in your mind, you can, um, you can like hand wave and, you know, uh, not hand wave, but like, um, your mind can fill in these gaps for you where you're like, okay, this scenario, is so bizarre that the only explanation is that this guy sought me out and brought these three crazy people to like exact revenge on me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, well, it also could just be this like, you know, quote unquote God's plan because mm-hmm. he, they say he represents malice, you know, within the four horsemen metaphor. Right. So, I don't know. I, I think it's, I, I feel like it's purposely left a little ambiguous as to, you know, like how that all played out. Like, it's just like one big joke, you know, mm-hmm. but it's also like, he's the first to die, which is like, kind of like, you know, um, do you remember the exactly the phrase they say before they like kill themselves? Is it like um... one part of humanity has been judged? Something like that. Yeah, I think um, that's what it is. Um, well, actually, I can look it up right now. Because, like, it's interesting the order that they go in. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, like part of part of humanity has been judged. Like, if malice is the first to go, because like, this mm-hmm. order seems very preordained, right? Like. Mm-hmm. It was like malice, and then nurturing, then healing, and then guidance, or like mentorship. So, mm-hmm. um, to me, it seems like, yeah, the first thing that you that like God would judge is malice, because that's like mm-hmm. evil. That's like, you know, this is all me like thinking of because like I, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's any answer to this, but it's like. I feel like I feel like M Night's playing in some like interesting ambiguity, and then like nurturing would be next. Um, not mm-hmm. sure why, but then I guess healing, and then you know, guide, I think like guidance, teaching would be the 
last part to be judged because it's like i don't know altruistic perhaps i don't know i mean if you have nurturing around for a long time then i feel like there's that level of mercy to it so i suppose if you're you know enacting the apocalypse then you're like no 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 we need to right. get the good stuff out of right, good right. Stuff out of can't have you getting too comfortable when the world's ending come on now. right right <laughs> <laughs> well, what you know? What's your take on the whole like Rupert Grint of it all? I mean, uh, with like, um, I mean, if it is Mouse, then um, I think pretty much exactly what you said. I mean, I don't think I have any other real thought behind it because it, do- but it does sort of like you know play into the doubt and the and the sort of. Um, um reaction to it to it all because it's just puts these characters in a even in an even more you know um frustrating and disorienting situation um and doubt everything even more um but i i mean i think in that sense that i'm not sure if it like if it all fully comes together, because there is definitely an aspect as a result of that incident um, in the in, in the bar, which results in a trauma, and yeah. um, and and I and I think then you can sort of tie that into the fact that you know. So the first thing that goes is like, all right, I'm gonna get that trauma out of the way, but I'm also gonna get the nurturing out of the way next because you know, let's get you know two birds, um, but. Um, so I, I, I guess that way, I think it works. I I don't know. I don't know if I have much more to add than what you already said about it all. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting about, like, M. Night Shyamalan is that he... Maybe I'm being a little too charitable, but, like, I feel like what's interesting to me is that, like, he presents these questions and these ambiguities and these tensions, but he doesn't really, really work to, like, solve them, like in mm-hmm. all their nuances and contradictions like i feel kind of the same way about jordan peele like nope or sorry us has so many questions that are left unanswered and so many things that like mm-hmm. don't really quite make sense and i don't think that he's really interested in giving any concrete answers um mm-hmm. and i feel like ms john the same way um like i don't mm-hmm. think he's going to be going around like you know darren aronofsky or whatever being like here's what my, what my movie means um mm-hmm. And I, 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 it's frustrating because it's like all these puzzles, all these puzzle pieces don't quite fit together. But it's also kind of refreshing that like we're not being spoon fed everything. I don't know. It's, yeah, yeah, it's no, a balance. No, no, that's exactly it. It's not being spoon fed, but I, I do kind of appreciate that. Like, yeah, I mean, the, the, I do, I do like the fact that you know, yeah, even in this swing that he's taking you know it's like either you're on board with it or not i don't know i know this movie's got a bit of a divided response from 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 people um but i do appreciate the fact that he's not backing away from that and it means going all the way not 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 necessarily answering everything up front maybe putting in nuances and subtext during the movie so that when you you know, when you go back and watch it, you're like, oh, okay, fine. You can see some of the things come through. Like, I had the same experience, in fact, now that you mentioned us with us, because the first time I watched it, I said, well, I didn't get all my answers. But then I remember I watched it again after, and then I spent like three hours talking about it with my friend at the time uh, from that screening. And um, it just sort of, like, you know, started to decipher everything a little bit more and you know, go into the subtext of what the movie is doing. And then eventually it, you know, was like, oh yeah, actually no, this movie rules, you know. So uh um I think the I think the same thing is here with um with with knock at the cabin. But, I mean it definitely answers less questions than old does. I think old answers it a lot more. Um like like I expected that movie to be a little more ambiguous, you know, so to speak. Um but mm-hmm. um but again, it's not something I. Yeah, I mean, it's a little frustrating, I guess, in terms of like if you want to make a, if you want to make a complete, um, uh, uh, story. But I also think it's 
it's a brave move and um it at least gets a conversation going it keeps you thinking and i and i'm hoping he doesn't go around being like all right guys let me tell you what the ending is because i i mean he was just on um he was on graham norton like earlier and they're like i I don't even like telling people my twists like I mean, half the time. Like, I believe uh, Sir Michelle Giller was about to give away the Sixth Sense twist, and he was like, no, no, don't tell me this. <laughs> like, uh, I love so, that. Yeah, yeah, he hates any details. He's like, find out for yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's, you know, part of the reason why, like, the, his movies, like, Lady in the Water don't quite work, or I think even The Happening don't quite work, mm-hmm. is that, like, I feel like he works too hard to explain things away. Like, Lady in the Water has this, like, intense mythology that makes no sense, mm-hmm. and um, there's just so much, like, exposition, there's so there's so many nuances to all that, to, like, the ending and, the, and stuff, so that, like, I feel like it's kind of like he just, like, steps back. Like, I think even with, like, something as simple as, like, The Visit, you know how could like what like what the details are and how like the the like the twist works he doesn't really quite give those answers and i i, I want to watch that interview because I, I would love to see him be like i'm not telling anyone anything because like yeah. you know it's like let the, the movie speaks for itself you you can take away from it whatever you want you can talk about whatever you want and like i think that like you know I feel like the conversation around M. Night Shyamalan is kind of annoying because it's just like, I feel like people forget how to like watch movies when it comes to his movies, even though like he's such a visual filmmaker and he does a lot of great things with like cinematic language and symbolism and shot compositions and editing. Um, that it's kind mm-hmm. of a shame that all that sort of gets forgotten because people only care about like the last like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and which even in this case, the last ten minutes don't give you everything. It's again, it's so much in everything that leads up to the last ten minutes. So in this case, you do need to like sit through the whole movie, watch every scene carefully, kind of, you know, to 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 take yeah. it all in. Um, yeah, and I mean, I just love the way this movie is shot. Um, yeah. You know that he worked with uh, Jarn Blaschke. Jaron Blaschke, perhaps, uh, who is uh, the cinematographer for Robert Eggers' movies, you know, The Great, The Northman, you know, mm-hmm. iconic film, The Lighthouse, iconic movie. Um, and also um, a co-cinematographer, Lowell Meyer, who I believe works on Servant. Um, and M. Night Shyamalan said that, like, um, uh, one of them worked on the in the interiors, the other one worked exterior. I believe Jaron Blaschke worked interiors um which makes sense because i i think you know of course he's famous for the lighthouse which is all these very intense you know inside mm-hmm. uh shots um and you know i love these extreme close-ups you know that mm-hmm. that are this movie like you know a lot of movies have a lot of movies have close-ups but these i felt like were really intense um, mm-hmm. And I felt they were really unsettling, especially the opening scene with Leonard and when, mm-hmm. you know, where it's yeah. like not only it's just like the angle is a little bit off, it's really close. And I also felt like the camera was a little tilted as well. Um, mm-hmm. Just really jarring. And like I said, Jonathan Groff's performance is like written all over these close ups. I mean, he has so many really wonderful ones. Um, and um, it's you know, I feel like the emotional narrative of the film is completely told through these close-ups. And it's almost doesn't even matter to me like what the details are of the story because I feel like the emotional arc is there and intact. Mm-hmm. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. I do. Completely. I know I just talked about how people talk too much about M. Night Shyamalan's endings, um, so I don't want to be a hypocrite, <laughs> but what did you think of the ending? And um, not only, like, sort of the choice that ultimately is made, but also sort of, like, the epilogue kind of denouement of the film. So I, I like the ending. I, I I mean, once it all sort of came together, and um, uh, by the way, before we talk about that, the scene where... He st- uh, where Leonard starts repeating what the 
correspond to this saying. Oh my god, that's so scary. That was amazing. Um, and I love that. So in fact, uh, I can I can attest to the fact that when that happened, I was actually with a fairly almost completely packed theater, like, ooh, it was like a very cool reaction everyone had to it. Um No, because up until that moment, I was like, this movie could end where these are just like four, you know, psychopaths or whatever, or like four like delusional, like maybe they're all like kind of like in the visit where it's like, oh, these are just like mental patients who just escape somehow, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and th- like up until that moment, I'm like, that could be the ending of this movie, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that, that was, it, it was so scary but i feel like mm-hmm. i repressed it a little until you brought it up <laughs> yeah really effective moment um and i think a really just absolutely chilling scene that i think really like i my heart sank you know mm-hmm. um no and once that happened you know sort of like it's like okay though this is not a coincidence something else is up here but more than anything when after the after the, again the eventual um uh the 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 reveal and um you know when we get to the decision that's made um i think i think it's pulled off very you know uh, it's a very gut-wrenching moment for sure um but i i do think it does go on a few more minutes than it needs to mm-hmm. uh Mostly because I I, I mean I, I really like the final bit uh in the car with the music playing. Um which was a great capper on that because you're just like, wow, what a day. Um but um at the same time, I think someone mentioned it somewhere and it kind of got me thinking about it. It's like it may have worked better if it was left ambiguous, where it's like you hear the gunshot, someone's coming up the treehouse for when, and then it ends. Um, although I feel like that would have been either a too dark or too would have just upset a lot of people. So I figured they'd give you the answer. Um, yeah. So it's sort of a, it's sort of a double-edged sword over there. Um, but, but yeah, I think otherwise, um, again, it comes back to what we were saying earlier. It's not really a twist. It's a revelation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it builds into that. And then when you, hopefully when you go back and watch the movie again you run it back and you're like oh this was this was always there it is it's just at the end of it you're just having it said out loud you know um but yeah i think it i think it worked for sure yeah yeah i mean as as you mentioned like the lens flare moment kind of gets its payoff and this really beautiful like imagine spot where jonathan groff sort of says that you know, if if we make this choice, then when can have this beautiful future? I mean, I almost started crying. I thought that was so emotional. <laughs> just like, just like the vividness of seeing that, like, just this normal, like, conversation of like, uh, like this like vision of them just like leaving her office and getting into a car. Like, it's so normal, but it's like so just like the kind of thing you do kind of picture about like the people you love and the future of like that I thought it was really beautiful and I remember like one thing I said about old is that like you have this beautiful ending shot and then it goes on you know mm-hmm. um, and I, I think this movie does the same but I feel like I my Shyamalan is like such a showman that I feel that like he wants to show you like the happy ending or like not the happy mm-hmm. ending but like he wants you to see the the main characters kind of having that like catharsis, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when is the main character of the movie, all things considered? Yeah. So yeah. Um, and you know, also like the confirmation of like, hey, this actually kind of worked, and things will be back mm-hmm. to normal um, as much as possible. I mean. I kind of had the same moment about like the snap in the Avengers movies of like, how do you actually go back to normal from this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like all this devastation and loss. Um, but um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like that scene at the diner, I thought like was really his way of being like, okay, you know, like we just went this very 
scary very upsetting film but like there's some hope in the future and like the sun coming out is driving away and of course the callback to boogie shoes um i think he's too much of a like crowd pleaser filmmaker to like not show us that kind of stuff as much as i would love the like treehouse scene to be the ending but it's almost like too ambiguous Oh, no, absolutely. And like I said, it would have upset people so much. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, it was a double-edged sword, you know. It's just like, it well, I haven't read the book, but I have heard that, like, the ending of the book is very ambiguous um, mm-hmm. as to, like, what's real and what's not and stuff. And um, I just, I think, like, one criticism I've heard about this is that, like, Emma Shaman just kind of, like, took this premise and then just, like, did his own thing with it. Um, and then, like, called an adaptation. And, like, um, you know, his the author of the book is not on the poster, is not on the trailer. He, of course, is credited. Um, and I think the same thing happened with Old, is that, like, the author of that graphic novel wasn't really credited anywhere except for in the film itself. Um, and I think that's, like, M.I. Shaman's way of saying that, like, okay, this might be, like, based on something that, in fact, in that like, I had to pay to make this. But mm-hmm. it's, like, mine you know and i think both movies kind of go through the Shyamalan machine and become a part of his you know his like recurring themes and a part of his visual language and you know i don't i don't think the ending i have read the end of the book which i don't want to spoil you know people might want to read it but it's not it's not really a movie ending to me it's kind of it's a book ending but it's not really a movie ending if that makes okay. sense yeah okay sure uh no i completely understand so uh, i just feel like people who are mad about the ending of the book being changed i think would have been mad that this movie has too much of a non-ending that makes sense yeah no so i think it's a good idea that you know you i mean what you're trying to say is a good idea they went with what they went with yeah yeah and i i i I can imagine emma sham i can't sorry i cannot imagine emma shamalan filming that ending at all Okay. Um, yeah, I, I I do want to read the book though because I, I think it'd be interesting. Um, any uh, any other kind of moments of the film that really stood out to you? I'm trying to think. Um, like as of, as of right now, if there's anything else that um, that that is, I mean, it I, I can't. So this is a filmmaking thing. And it's just something that I really, really appreciated. It's all taking place in one location, the cabin. But even despite this, and I think this is just a testament to him as a filmmaker at this point in time, it still manages to feel big. You know, like you can feel like when you're watching, especially on the news, it's like you feel like, yeah, the world's ending. You know, that's there's something very, very wrong. And sort of, I love how he puts you into that sort of, that space, you know, so so, so you are, you do feel that tension as, as things, um, as things go on. Although I do want to say that, how, how did the news team procure that, inf- that video of the tsunami? Oh, um, <laughs> I have the same thought. <laughs> I was like, this phone drowned. Like, there's no way it works. And also, like, even if the phone survived, the person did not. Oh, yeah. It was... That is <laughs> like, true. Like, how did they access that cloud? Just be like, hey. <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I know it's not a thing. I know it's not the spoiler final thought that you were going for. <laughs> but, like, when it happened, I was like, oh, wait, how did this. <laughs> This is this is impossible. Unless that person, unless that person actually somehow survived that tsunami, in which case I have even more questions. <laughs> yeah. Um. No. Totally. Um. Yeah. I mean the uh the the clips of all these disasters happening like were mm-hmm. really upsetting. Um, because they felt really realistic. I mean, you know, that whole phone thing aside, but like, um, the, uh, I think what really got to me is, um, the airplanes because the screaming, uh, really reminded me of Nope. Um, Mm -hmm. because like, you know, when like 
there like after the star lasso experience when Daniel Kaluuya is at the empty stadium or like uh, like a uh, stage thing mm-hmm. and he hears the screaming and even like in the beginning when you hear the like hikers scream mm-hmm. it really gets to you because it sounds like I don't know it's just like I just, I guess I I don't know I just never thought that like yeah playing crash you would hear people screaming from the like on from the ground so it just reminded me of that and like again it freaked me out um in a really great way and like um so that i really thought was really powerful mm-hmm. um and um yeah to kind of end on a happy note i really like the scene at the um in china mm-hmm. um and like you know it starts you know it starts with the thing of like oh my wife couldn't come this is her brother as like a way to kind of get around you know, mm-hmm. um, homophobia or whatever. But I, I felt that, like, the, um, again, like, this family just felt complete, you know, when, they, when they're holding baby Wen. And just, like, I mean, just, like, it just felt like a really powerful love story, you know, in this family. Um, I, just, I really appreciated that, having that kind of moment of, like, even in this situation where they have to kind of lie, you know, they still have this like moment of being, you know, together and sharing this as a family. Like it, it's, they're that strong of a family unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I, I guess we can talk about one more thing. Um, yeah. I, I wonder what's, uh, I don't know. How, what, what did you make of like the fact that I saw the entire life play out after I was gone? Because you see adult win and everything. Yeah, I mean, I again, I found that to be really powerful and really moving. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that whole mm-hmm. sequence is so—it's romantic, it's tragic, it's hopeful. It's you know, in in some ways, to me, it's like um, it it allows him to have lived the life that he's not really going to get to live. And to me, it's, you know, one way of kind of, quote unquote, making it up to him that, you know, he has to be the one that sacrifice. That's such a stupid phrase, a stupid way of saying it. But like, to me, if like, if God is real, and is forcing this situation, then at least emotionally, he can live the life that he's missing out on and, and seeing all this and, you know, having that vision of when the future, I think was really powerful. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of Arrival. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a really great. Um, that's a great connection. Yeah, I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah, um, I was half expecting uh, uh, Max Richter to start. Um, <laughs> but, but we just had that in the last of us. I, I was gonna say I. I, <laughs> not, I don't watch the show, but I heard that that was a great use of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, any um anything else you'd like to um bring up before we wrap up here? Mm, I mean there's a major spoiler moment, so I'm, I'm not sure. Like I thought again, just yeah, I think um yeah, I think we're pretty pretty square for now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I really I really like the movie. I mean you know, mm-hmm. M. Night Shyamalan doesn't have to do a lot to impress me because, like, I just think he's a really cool guy and I'm interested in whatever he's doing because I think he's he's very weird, but, like, in a very mainstream way. Um, and uh, I like that he, keep push- he, keep push- he keeps pushing himself. Um, really excited to see kind of what he does after this. Um, and... Um, yeah, no, Shori, I thank you so much for, for being here. It was great chatting with you again about the great M. Night. Um, yeah, please let us know what you're working on and where people can find you. So you can find me by my name on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter. Um, on YouTube, there's a lot of stuff coming up right now, so that's exciting. Um, and, um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter for nonsense. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you are very busy on YouTube, which we love because you're great at what you do. Um, you can find me on Twitter at vertigay314. 
Um, also, I host a pod to be you on the regular. Uh, this is on the same feed. Um, so, um, you know, you can follow that podcast at a pod to be you and, you know, remember to rate, review, subscribe to all that. Um, we are, uh, in the middle of the uh, Bad Romance miniseries at It Had to Be You, which is really fun. We're going to talk about David Lynch's Mulholland Drive for our fourth year anniversary. It's really exciting. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, thanks for listening and thanks for being here, Toria. Thank you so much for having me.